I'm so happy you stopped turning your podcast dial and landed right here. You made it just in time. I was just getting ready to tell a story. I'm Robert Peterson. Welcome to Notorious Bakersfield. Are you ready to hear a Notorious Bakersfield story? Good. You're here. I'm here. Let's get started. Welcome to the fourth episode of Notorious Bakersfield. Before I get into the story for this episode, I'd like to remind you, if you would like to be notified each time a new episode is released, you can subscribe to Notorious Bakersfield on the podcast app you use to listen to podcasts on. Notorious Bakersfield is listed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcast, CastBox, Podcast Addict, Audible, FM Player, Deezer. So just go to any of those apps that you use, subscribe to Notorious Bakersfield, and you will be automatically notified. Of course, you can still use the Notorious Bakersfield webpage, NotoriousBakersfield.com, to listen to each episode. How does one gauge a community's character? What's the standard or metric used? Every so often, some organization will release their assessment of the best or worst places to live in America. You've probably seen these surveys. These judgments will be based on a variety of data, crime rates, poverty, income, education levels, weather. Every so often, Bakersfield will find its way on one of these lists. Sometimes Bakersfield will make it to the best places list, and sometimes Bakersfield will make it to the worst places list, depending on what data is being considered. Is that the best measure of a city's desirability? I don't think so. I think the best measure of a community's desirability is to observe how a community collectively responds when tragedy strikes. In March 1960, Bakersfield, specifically Rosedale, was the site of an awful railroad tragedy. Fourteen people were killed and more than 60 were injured. Mr. Rogers, the children's television icon, once said, quote, When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, Look for the helpers. You'll always find people who are helping, and that will give you hope, unquote. While this train accident was an awful tragedy, what I discovered in my research was Bakersfield's response to this crisis was nothing less than inspirational. For this episode of Notorious Bakersfield, I'm going to tell you about this railroad disaster, but I'm also going to tell you about how Bakersfield citizens responded. I'm going to tell you about the helpers. The San Francisco Chief was the Santa Fe Railroad's streamlined passenger train that offered service between the San Francisco Bay Area and Chicago. It began service in 1954 and was the last streamliner introduced by Santa Fe. The San Francisco Chief's route was a -a one-of-a-kind. It was the only San Francisco to Chicago train route to make the entire trip on one railroad. 
The San Francisco Chief was the Santa Fe's crown jewel. The company heavily promoted its convenience and amenities. Its signature feature was a glass dome lounge that offered passengers a panoramic view high above the rails. On March 2, 1960, the eastbound San Francisco Chief departed Fresno on schedule at 3.30 p.m. The weather was perfect with skies as clear as can be as the 11-car train lumbered toward Bakersfield to make its 5.30 scheduled destination time. Charles Johnson of the Rosedale area was a passenger in a truck being driven by his nephew, Thomas Johnson. They're traveling on the Central Valley Highway, also known as the Santa Fe Way, that runs alongside the railroad tracks. They're parallel the train, driving in the same direction about 65 miles per hour, and the San Francisco chief was passing them. Looking ahead, as both the Johnsons and the train approached the intersection of Allen Road, Charles could see a tanker truck with a trailer on Allen Road. The truck approached the crossing, slowed down, then crossed into the train's path. Charles turned to his nephew and said, quote, My God, he's going to hit the tanker! Unquote. This location is where Allen Road, Hageman, Santa Fe Way, and the railroad tracks all intersect. Today, thanks to an overpass, trains safely pass above the roadways. The doomed tanker truck was owned by Oglesby Brothers Petroleum Transportation Company and was being driven by 46-year-old John Garrett. The tanker was hauling 8,000 gallons of flammable oil product. Another witness said the tanker exploded on impact and the fireball engulfed the entire train as it passed through the crossing and derailed. The fireball reached hundreds of feet over the accident scene and plumes of smoke could be seen from miles away. In total, nine cars jackknifed. Only two remained upright. Most were on their sides. Some cars were on top of other cars. It was a twisted and chaotic scene. Naturally, the first responders to reach to the accident scene were Rosedale farmers, ranchers, residents, and people who were working in the vicinity. It only took Kern County firefighters a few minutes to reach the scene. They were followed by Bakersfield Fire Department, the Kern County Sheriff's Office, California Highway Patrol officers, and the Bakersfield Police Officers. Farmers turned on irrigation systems to aid firefighters with water supply. Workers from the Santa Fe Railroad also rushed to the scene. They were joined by employees of their competitor, the Southern Pacific Railroad. Rosedale area residents and farmers brought blankets to the victims, opened their homes, and served coffee to the passengers and rescuers. Fifteen ambulances were used to shuttle injured passengers from the scene to the hospitals in Bakersfield. The accident happened at 5.15 p.m., the first victim arrived at Mercy Hospital at 6.05 p.m. A public address system was brought in to help direct rescue workers to where they were needed most. It took firefighters two hours to extinguish the flames. Telephone communications for nearby Wasco and Shafter were knocked out. To reduce congestion on Rosedale Highway, the CHP closed the highway at Pierce Road, now Buck Owens Boulevard. Drugstores that had been closed for the day reopened their doors and monitored their telephones for the surge of requests for medicines and medical supplies. Volunteers were readily available to deliver these life-saving items to wherever they were needed. A plea went out to Bakersfield residents for blood donations. 
and Bakersfield citizens responded overwhelmingly. Hundreds flooded the Houchin blood bank. 250 pints of blood were donated just in the first hour. The facility stayed open all night long to accommodate the influx of donors. The Red Cross also put out a plea for volunteers. They needed help making sandwiches, coffee, and donuts for the rescuers. And Bakersfield citizens responded. Then, when word went out that they needed people to deliver these items to the crash site, dozens of men with pickup trucks showed up at the Red Cross's headquarters. By daylight the following day, the casualty count was numbing. 14 had died and another 64 were injured. Most of those who died or were severely injured were in the first three passenger cars. These are the names of those who perished. A.H. Braley, 43, Santa Fe Railroad fireman from Fresno. L.A. Snyder, 67 years old, Santa Fe Railroad engineer from Fresno. John Garrett, 46-year-old, the truck driver who had collided with the train. Harley Watkins, 53 years old, from Bakersfield. Dr. Marshall Feisey, 43, from Fresno. Dr. Feisey was world-renowned valley fever researcher and specialist. Greta Farjoon, 63, from the Netherlands. Ulysses Hicks, 46, from San Francisco. Deller Jordan, from Cabot, Arkansas. Elizabeth Schreimer, from Chicago. Hayes Edward, 50-year-old, from Houston, Texas. Patrick Brennan, from Fresno, a soldier with orders to report to Camp Irwin. Lily Garner, from San Francisco. And Rosalie Washington, 54-year-old from San Francisco. Of the 64 who were injured, um, the injuries ranged from minor cuts and bruises to much serious, to serious burns, loss of eyes, and loss of limbs. By 10 a.m., March 2nd, less than 17 hours after the accident, the wreckage had been cleared and the railroad tracks were restored and functional. Now, there's conflicting information out there about the casualty count. Almost every reference I've been able to find online about this tragedy puts the number of dead at 17, not the 14. I think this is because the Los Angeles Times ran a headline the day after the accident that claimed 17 had died. Later stories in the LA Times put the death toll at 14. The Bakersfield Californian consistently reported 14 deaths. Another discrepancy I found in the, is the date. Uh, this tragedy happened on March 1st, 1960. Most online stories I've been able to find put the date as March 2nd. I think the reason for this is because newspapers didn't report the incident until the morning after on March 2nd. Remember, this was 1960. There were no railroad crossing arms or gates at this railroad crossing. I read one account that stated that there were no signals. That would mean that there weren't any flashing lights warning that a train was approaching, which wasn't unusual for back then for rural train crossings. Four days after the accident, the Kern County coroner determined that truck driver John Garrett was at fault. Not surprising for an accident of this magnitude, the civil lawsuit started 
coming in. The widow of John Garrett, the truck driver, filed suit against the Santa Fe Railroad. Oglesby, Oglesby Brothers Petroleum Transportation Company filed suit against Santa Fe, and then Santa Fe turned around and filed suit against the Oglesby. Santa Fe and Oglesby settled their dispute out of court, as did the truck driver's widow. Then there were the estates of the 14 who had died and the individuals who were injured. Over 40 civil lawsuits from 25 law firms were filed against Santa Fe, the Oglesby Brothers Transportation Company, and Standard Oil. It was Standard Oil's product that was being transported in the tanker truck. In all, over $8 million is how much these lawsuits totaled. To streamline the legal process, a Kern County judge consolidated the lawsuits. And to complicate matters even more, Jack Oglesby, the co-owner of Oglesby Brothers Transportation Company, died of a heart attack in July of 1962. In the first week of January 1963, a jury panel was seated. It was expected to be a long and complex trial, so much so that the judge set aside three months on the court calendar. Then, on January 9th, 1963, on the first morning, the jury was set to hear testimony. The attorneys for all parties reached a settlement. Attorneys for both sides declined to disclose terms of the settlement. It was reported, and I find this hard to believe, but it was reported that the settlement was for less than $1 million. Since it was settled out of court, there's no official record of what the actual amount was. Compared to today's civil lawsuits, the original $8 million seems awfully small, but less than $1 million seems like a slap in the face to the accident victims and their families. I certainly hope that that reporting is wrong. This accident was an awful tragedy, but learning how the citizens of Bakersfield responded, the helpers, is heartwarming and certainly makes me proud to call Bakersfield home. Resources used for this episode are the Bakersfield Californian, the Fresno Bee, the LA Times, AmericaRails.com, StreamlinerMemories.com, and SantaFeGMBus.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Notorious Bakersfield. I welcome feedback. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for stories you'd like me to cover on future episodes, Email me at NotoriousBakersfield at gmail.com. There's no space between Notorious and Bakersfield. It's all one word. If you'd like to advertise your business on Notorious Bakersfield, you can become a sponsor. Email me, once again, at that address, NotoriousBakersfield at gmail.com. You can subscribe to Notorious Bakersfield on your favorite podcast app, where a Notorious Bakersfield story will be released every Tuesday. Until then... This is Robert Peterson wishing you a happy 4th of July and a pleasant rest of your week.